I've run global businesses, so how hard can it be to just write a book? I still don't really understand how I do it. Okay, well, um, I guess I'll start. My name is Shaz Khan. That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. And what I actually have found through this whole process is that writing is, is probably the most difficult job I've done. Not only can you, but you should start late. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Best Seller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. Last up, our epilogue. What is an epilogue? Have you ever eavesdropped on a first-time author describing how she went from thinking about maybe one day writing a book to actually writing that book, then scrapping half of it, rewriting it, selling it to an agent, selling it to a publisher who wanted to change all of it, deciding to hire an independent designer and self-publish it instead, and eventually marketing the whole thing herself? If you've stuck with Shaz Kong for the past six episodes as she recounted said journey, then that answer is now yes. I've run global businesses, so how hard can it be to just write a book? We started this podcast with the idea that a good story needs to do three things. Get a character up into a tree, throw rocks at them, and then get them back down. In other words, it needs characters, conflict, and resolution. Yeah, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I learned a lot along the way. We also started this podcast with an estimate that 81% of Americans feel they have a story in them that they should write and ideally publish, but less than 1% of them ever actually do. Shaz was one of the 81%, despite a life story that couldn't be further from the prototypical image of the starving artist slash great American novelist. Yeah, I, I think the key thing is as you are collecting these assets, just figure out how you can leverage them. But like so many of us, she still wanted to write a book, and so she set out to do just that. It wasn't the easiest road, and she took a lot of wrong turns, but today her novel The Closer is readily available on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and www.ceilingsmashers.com. And Shaz, the former aspiring novelist, has officially lost the aspiring adjective. Like the novel itself, her story of writing it followed a very classic literary structure, the three-act hero's journey. At the start of Act 1, the hero is in the ordinary world, their comfort zone, with a limited awareness of the problem at hand, or in this case, of the entire overwhelming expanse of the publishing industry. But over the course of the first act, despite a reluctance to leave the comfort zone behind, the hero desires more and by the act's end has committed to making a change. It's not easy to break cycles in life, even when you want to. It's much easier to wake up every day and dream about writing a book than it is to actually wake up and write it. So act two of the hero's journey consists of conflict. The tests, allies, enemies, or deals, overly critical editors or underqualified book designers or publishers who think that readers won't want to read about the story that you spent years working to tell, you know, 
all the things that get in the way when you try to make a change. Up in the publishing tree, you will get rocks thrown at you, but make it through the second act and you'll be able to change resolutely. You get to climb back down and journey back home with the hero's elixir in hand. In this case, a published book to your own name. Like so many great stories, Shaz's followed this structure. She had characters, conflict, and resolution in Act 1, 2, and 3, and a beginning, middle, and end. So why seven episodes? Why didn't this podcast just end at her story's end, last chapter? Well, because this story has an epilogue. Uh, so just to give this thing a little bit of an epilogue, why don't you talk to me a little bit about what you have planned next uh, for the series and just in general? Yes, I'm writing two more in this series, and then I also have a nonfiction book planned as well. But before we get to all that, what actually is an epilogue? Well, similar to the prologue, its etymology is Greek, epilogos, and it made its stunning debut in the theater. But unlike the prologue, the epilogue wasn't really common practice until the 17th century, and despite the roots of its name, it was almost exclusively used in England. That, of course, explains Shakespeare's fondness for the device, expressed in Midsummer Night's Dream, where Theseus pleads with the players from the play within the play to forgo an epilogue as their play, quote, needs no excuse, only for Puck to deliver an epilogue excusing the play itself at the show's end classic Shakespeare. However, it is in those very shaping fantasies that we witness the earliest meaning of the epilogue, to assert a story's merit and to deprecate its defaults. Today, however, an epilogue's meaning is much looser. Its goal is simply to serve as a satisfying close to a story, one that gives you a moment to reflect on everything you've just consumed. It shouldn't replace the resolution of the novel, but merely provide a grace note for the story's close. If I can make it easier for another author, then I'm all for it. The epilogue's format can, well, take on many different forms. One such approach is the J.K. Rowling angle, a standalone vignette explaining what happens to the characters after the story's close. So the next thing I'm working on now, it's almost wrapped up, is there's an audiobook of my um, of my book, The Closer, and I hired a an actress who is a professional um, narrator of audiobooks to do the book. There's um, an exchange called ACX where you can listen to snippets of people and, and listen to books, and then you can um, write a, an audition script and have people read it and audition to um, read your book. And I, you know, I was really surprised. I, I put an audition script up and I had like 30 or 40 people audition. So it, it takes time to go through and listen to all the auditions. But, you know, I found somebody who I thought represented the words on the page almost exactly in the way that I had intended. So, um, and, you know, I just thought she, the quality of her voice was great and everything. So, um, so it's been great working with her. And, I think we're almost to the end and almost, you know, almost have a completely finished product and I'm really excited about where it is and, I, you know, the interesting thing, I think I mentioned this on an earlier um, episode, was that I have been surprised that younger readers, um, like in their mid-20s to mid-30s, uh, they seem to be 
consuming a lot of audiobooks, more than I was expecting, and uh, and ebooks. And it seems like people are reading less actual hardcover books, which is fine. But you know, I think having an audiobook will add another dimension and help me read uh, reach you know more more audience members. Is that something you would suggest to other indie authors out there? I think so. I, you know, I don't know how many people asked me if I had an audiobook in the beginning, and I was like, that's not even something I considered. Sometimes they are included to allow the main character to speak freely outside the bounds of the story's format or genre conventions. So can you give the listeners a little bit of a teaser? What's next for Vivian Lee? Sure. Well, the series of the Ceiling Smasher series is three books. So the first book was about Vivian Lee and her journey as she becomes CEO of a sports company. And then I mentioned the Ceiling Smashers, which are three of her friends who are um, one is a, um, a financial uh, news reporter for CNBC, one is a private banker, and the other is a branding and marketing expert. And um, the second book is going to be called probably tentatively Ceiling Smashers Synced or Smashers Synced. And it's going to be what's happening in their lives while Vivian's going on her journey in the first book. And then the third book is going to be Everybody Together. And, you know, what's it like for Vivian now that she's running this huge company? And what's it like for her Ceiling Smasher friends? And, you know, how have they progressed in their endeavors that they were trying to um, go after in the second novel? An epilogue can even take place years after the ending of a story with no discernible relationship to the events that took place therein, like the moody, enigmatic ending to Cormac McCarthy's opus, Blood Meridian. Theoretically, we could end this podcast with the image of an old western candlelight vigil, a man walking through the desert, digging holes and sparking flames into each while the masses follow behind him, and simply leave it up to the listener's interpretation, because... Art. But I think for our purposes, a grace note for the story's close will work just fine. You know, now that I am writing the second book, uh, I'm thinking about, okay, you know, when do I start the production of the audiobook as well? And how do I get them to, um, to how do I release them in, you know, kind of a, a short sequence? Um, so, yeah, I'm already starting to write the second book, and I'm on the sixth chapter of 15 chapters, so. Uh, has it been going uh, a little bit smoother, having gone through this process once already? I think so. I think the quality of my writing has improved, and I'm not making the same mistakes I made before. I think the writing process is actually uh, a little slower than on my first book, but I expect the editing process to go much faster. Um, and, you know, just hopefully I'm continuing to grow as a writer and continuing to get better. And, and I've had a lot of people asking me when the second book is coming out. So, you know, I wish I could write a little faster, but I'm also working. So I just need to fit it in when I can. And, and I think so much of what this podcast has to offer is that you're out here. This is the first time you went through this process. And now you're able to, you know, pick out your own mistakes and convey to new people who might be going through this process, like, here's what I did that works, here's what I did that didn't work, and avoid that. Yeah, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes along the way, I learned a lot along the way, and if I can make it easier for another author, then I'm all for it. I mean, a lot of authors were just really helpful and really generous, and that's, you know, I'm also trying to kind of, you know, repay that or pay that forward because um, I find, you know, it was a, it's not necessarily an easy process to go through and it helps to have somebody who can give you some advice 
for how you can navigate the process. Ah, but before I forget, I wouldn't want to end this podcast with a broken promise, so let's elaborate on that part of a book that comes right after the epilogue, and that we skimmed over in Chapter 4 with the promise to return to it now. I'm talking, of course, about the back matter. Just like the front matter is found at the front of a book, the back matter is, you guessed it, found at the back of a book. And although the epilogue serves as the ultimate ending to a story, it is not always the ending to a book, because the back matter exists to offer readers further supplementary information about the book or story. The parts of the back matter generally include, but are not limited to, the boring technical stuff like addendums, chronology, glossaries, and indices. But it's also the home for that classic mainstay of a book's dust jacket, the About the Author page, as well as the book's bibliography, reference list, list of contributors, and acknowledgments. In other words, an About the Dozens of Others That Contribute to a Story Who Aren't the Author page. And then in the acknowledgments um, section, I, I basically, you know, I thanked my editor. I thanked, you know, everybody who had given me feedback. I, I thanked my beta readers. I thanked Readsy. I thanked my, um, you know, my editor, my copy editor, my book cover designer. So, you know, and, and pretty much anybody who gave me great advice along the way. Um, I just wanted to, you know, make sure that people who had a big impact you know, really knew that I valued their contribution. You know, I think that like when you talk about sitting down to write a novel, you're like, it's going to be like my vision and then I'm going to put it out there. And then as you're sitting down to do this, you're just like, wait, now I need an editor. I need a cover designer. You know, I need someone to help with publishing. Was it crazy to have so many people to fill out your acknowledgements with? <laughs> Actually, you know, I liked it because I'm a pretty, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've led a lot of teams. I really like working with people. Um, so, you know, and writing can be a very solitary uh, endeavor. So, you know, you're just kind of heads down writing your manuscript for a long time. And then you then you finally get to the point where you're, you know, you're ready to collaborate with people with your editor, your copy editor, the designer. So I, I actually uh, really like that transition moving into the collaborative phase. Writing is a funny thing. The process of telling your story is predictably deeply personal. It means the strengths and weaknesses that affect you also affect your story. But paradoxically, that is even more true in self-publishing, where so much of your success depends on the help you get, be it from an editor, a publisher, a designer, a publicist, or even from yourself. In some ways, Shaz Kong's success in the sportswear industry led to missteps during her first foray into writing. Seeking the most qualified editor regardless of their experience in your genre, or pursuing the traditional publishing approach because of your connections in the industry even if it isn't a great fit for your book, those are examples of a business-minded approach that doesn't translate perfectly to publishing. But organizing years' worth of anecdotes and observations into the outline of a novel, or nailing a book's launch thanks to creative ways of leveraging your connections, those are examples of an approach to publishing that did work, even if it was anything but traditional. It was Shaz's unique life experience that kept her going when her lack of experience threatened to stop her. And in the end, that's true for all of us. The only way to succeed in breaking out of a cycle is to change everything except yourself. But yeah, back to that grace note. 
So I think, you know, you can't just rely on somebody else to do the work for you. I think, you know, we have to help each other. And I'd like to see, you know, more, you know, more great books out there. So, and I'd like to see a self-published book win the Pulitzer. So, you know, that's a challenge to all you authors out there. Let's let's get it going. (laughs) Brought to you by Readsy, this was Best Seller. Over the course of this season, we followed an indie author's journey from start to finish in five chapters and explored each step it takes to turn a collection of ideas in your head into a published book. Thank you for tuning in to Our Story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating, a review, a subscription, or all of the above on iTunes, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice. And if you are in that 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts protection and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelance editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com slash loves slash podcast to get $25 credit when you sign up and set a contract. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com slash L-O-V-E-S slash podcast to get $25 off your first collaboration today. Offer valid through January 2019.